calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Hey everyone, this is John Roca, one third of the Geek Buddies with this awesome ad for you. If you like this show and you want to make your own and some of you have reached out and asked us about making your own podcast, well, let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never heard before. Go ahead and let your freak flag fly. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Take it from us here at the Geek Buddies. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Now, on with the Geek Buddies show. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of The Geek Buddies. Hey! <laughs> I think we got that one. Yeah, finally, we've synced up. Uh, thank you all so much for downloading this episode or uh, on video on YouTube or downloading on podcast. We can't tell you how much we're enjoying the fact you all are coming back every week to listen to us talk about all the things going on in the world of geek. I am John Roke. I'm a writer, producer, and host here in uh, Los Angeles and co-host of numerous podcasts as well and the runner of the Outlaw Nation. He is. Uh, I am Michael Vogel. I am a writer and producer of animated TV shows and movies and uh, an avid fan of the Outlaw Nation. hey And this is Shannon McClung. I'm an animation writer and a television actor where you may have seen me on Silicon Valley, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and 911. And there's also a thing a thing right above <laughs> my left eye here. Yeah, I asked Jake Yacovetta, who does all our logo, all, all the logos for the Outlaw Nation, along with Brian Ward. I asked him to make one for the Geek Buys a little bit thinner, a little because I felt like the triangle was getting in the way of everything. And I like the little logo on the back, but maybe I'll have it moving a little closer to the corner, Shannon, so you don't no, feel so pessimistic uh, by it. 
It's the I'm only trying... thing that's getting it's the only thing that's getting thinner during this quarantine. I'll tell you that much. Oh, oh. oh. hey, truth, very much truth. I just <laughs> went and got I, I went and got my bike serviced so I could start riding it in the mornings to try to lose some weight because you're right. It's like it's tough sitting indoors all the time and the walking an hour at night isn't doing enough because I have no weights. I did not buy weights. I didn't know there was going to be a weights purge like toilet paper uh, when this whole thing went down. You can't find dumbbells anywhere in this city. So yeah, have, there's, yeah. There's, there's an ad on a few of the social media sites for those dumbbells that are like, it's it's one set, but you can hook on yeah, the more, select tech. more weight to it. But apparently yeah. it's, it's like a nine month waiting list to get those. Yep. Yep. It's out of control how bad it is over there. Bowflex. Uh, a thing that you can try, I did one. It was pretty good. Uh, base camp in West, there's lots of base camps. I go to the one in West Hollywood, but they've uh-huh. been doing uh, live workouts on their Insta feed. And okay. all of a uh, majority of the workouts are body weight. So you don't need any free weights or anything. So you do like oh. about a 30 or 40 minute workout, but it's all like squats and burpees and abs and stuff like that. So you can get a good workout in without having to do uh, uh, a weighted workout. So you stay in shape, but you don't necessarily build muscle out, right? You'd stay in shape, but would you be able to build muscle out or no? It depends. I mean, you, you do push-ups and certain things. You can get some pretty good weight stuff in there. You're not going to build the way that you would with weights, but as far as all of us being stuck at home, it's definitely something to do. Not a bad idea, but you guys didn't tune in to listen to us talk about weightlifting or anything like that or working out. We're here to talk about nerd stuff and geek stuff more specifically. Uh, for those of you who are new to the show, welcome aboard. For those of you who are coming back again, thank you so much for coming back. Uh, for, and uh, I'll explain it for the new people. What we usually do is each of us takes one geek news item and we talk about it amongst ourselves. Then we take a break, uh, a little bit of a mini break, and then jump into our main topic. And our main topic today is revisiting the X-Men film legacy on the 20-year anniversary of the release of the first X-Men film, which is hard to believe it was 20 years ago, but it was. So we're going to talk about all of that. Uh, but first, uh, what are we starting off with? Who's, on, who's up? We are starting off with some huge MCU news. So finally, huge. last week, they announced that uh, they're putting to rest the idea that Black Widow is going to go on to VOD. They are pushing it back until, and I actually have all of the dates here, they are pushing it back until November 6th. So this was the date that was previously occupied by the Eternals. They're right. basically shifting all of their films down one spot, with the exception, as of right now, uh, with Spider-Man 3, because that is actually a Sony production. Mm-hmm. So our new dates for Marvel Phase 4, possibly into Phase 5. I'm a little fuzzy on the end, on the, uh, the latter end here. But we've got Black Widow, November 6th, 2020. The Eternals, February 12th, Shang-Chi, May 7th, Spider-Man 3, July 16th, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, November 5th. That's all 2021. Now we have Thor, Love and Thunder. That's going to be on February 18th. That was uh, previously home to an unannounced Marvel film, Black Panther, May 6th, which had been announced before, and Captain Marvel 2, July 8th. So people are kind of thinking Captain Marvel 2 was going to be that February release. Now it's been pushed down to July 8th. And let me see if I can get you guys back here. Uh, There you are. So, yeah, they haven't announced anything for the Disney Plus series. Um, Yeah. Falcon Winter Soldier was supposed to come out in August. Uh, It's unclear whether or not it's going to be connected to anything. And also, they have not finished it. Like, they were, they, they were, Production was one of the filmings that got interrupted. WandaVision was supposed to come out in December. Um, but as we have all heard, it's going to tie into Doctor Strange. So 
Will that date be released or be moved? We don't know yet. So we'll just tackle that first part of the Marvel news. Gentlemen, what do we think about these new dates? Johnny? Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I think it's smart overall to be moving it this way. <clears throat> they're being optimistic and they're going to be optimistic that they'll be able to start releasing movies this year. Uh, you want to move it as, you know, to a slot you already had in November, uh, save for the Eternals. It makes sense to move Black Widow there uh, in that spot because then you can make that money back. You can make whatever was going to happen that weekend anyway. And you don't have to battle necessarily with other films that were around that time. So it's smart. You knew already what the landscape was going to be. So move it <clears> in there. You've already got squared away. Moving everything back makes sense. And it also seems to be. <clears throat> that by doing that, they're also saying that stuff in Black Widow does tie in in some way, shape, or form to the overall MCU, or else you could just drop Black Widow anywhere. Uh, so to me, this makes there's a little bit of an indication that there's more going on here in Black Widow than people initially thought there was going to be. Because look, uh, Captain Marvel got released what two months before G- Avengers uh, Endgame, so it's not like they haven't released Marvel films one on top of each other. So they could have easily dropped Black Widow earlier than November or scheduled for earlier than November. But I think they just want to put it there, move everything back. The question will be, those Disney Plus series, that's really the big question. What are they going to adjust? You know, uh, WandaVision is pretty much in pre in a post-production. Loki, I don't know what the situation is with Loki, to be honest with you. And Falcon and Winter Soldier were just set to go to their next location, start shooting some more before it all got shut down. So we don't know what they're going to uh, change about that. So for me, this makes all kinds of sense. And they kind of um, state forward, because there are other Disney movies that were moved as well. Mulan got moved. Uh, Artemis fouled to Disney Plus. So they basically were the big studio to make the move. And now they've made the move. Everyone else has to work around it. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, bringing up those other movies is a good point because, uh, oh, I think, uh, I think they're going to, oh, no. Bosco. Bosco. Bosco <laughs> is about uh, to be a guest star on the Geek Buddies. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I think that, um, you know, you have to remember that it's not just Marvel, like because Disney is doing all of those things. Like they weren't just looking at the Marvel dates. They were looking at all the dates. So they have mm-hmm. Mulan. They have Soul, which hasn't moved yet. They have right. the untitled Disney animated feature, not untitled. They have the uh, the dragon un- animated film that was supposed to come out. So when they're Jungle shifting Cruise. these- yeah, they had Jungle Cruise, Jungle which Cruise, fully right. moved a year. So I think when they're looking at everything, you know, they were sort of looking at what dates they had for other stuff, and they're just sort of swapping things out the way they did with Jungle Cruise. And yeah. I think that uh, it's smart. Um, and it's, as we've been saying, kind of from the moment that this all went down, which is with the Marvel movies particularly, you kind of have to move them all as one chunk because they figured this thing out as a continuous story. It's just another indication You know, not that we don't mention this all the time, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in our main topic as well, but just the fact that of all the big movie franchises that try and convince us that they have a plan, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is one of the few that clearly does. And Mm -hmm. when they make these types of moves, it makes it very clear that they don't want to mess up their plan. Um, you know, I think with the Disney plus series, I mean, obviously they probably won't release when they were planning on because they had to stop filming. And so I do think they'll sort of end up slotting them more or less, you know, there's a, again, there's the business and corporate push and pull. I'm sure that just purely creatively, they would love to take those series and move them as close to what they relate to. So get WandaVision as close to coming out before Dr. Strange to, mm. to get people excited at the same time. Disney Plus is going to be in sore need of content, just like everything else is. So I'm sure that, you know, 
Disney Plus is like, look, we get it. As soon as we can get these things, we want to put it up there. Whereas Marvel might be saying we'd like to get it closer. So I do think there's going to be a little bit of push and pull with that. But it'll be interesting to see. But again, as much as it's a disappointment that everything is getting pushed back, so we're going to have to wait longer to really get into phase four, it's a comfort to know that they clearly seem to know what they're doing and want Mm. to uh, keep that uh, plan intact. Yeah, and luckily for Disney Plus, the second season of The Mandalorian, which is which had already wrapped shooting, it is going to be still. Uh, it, there, no, no date uh, delay has been announced with that, so it's yeah. still going to come out in the fall. So the other part, the other big or small part of the <laughs> MCU news that we have today is that Ant Man three they have uh, they have hired a screenwriter, a gentleman mm-hmm. named Jeff Loveness, who was a co producer and a writer on Rick and Morty, also wrote on Jimmy Kimmel. He's also written some comic books. He is going to be the writer for Ant-Man 3. Now, they have not released a date for Ant-Man 3, but there has been a lot of online speculation that Ant-Man 3 is going to soft introduce the Young Avengers. He's already got Mm. stature with Cassie Lang. By the time that Ant-Man 3 comes out, conceivably, Wiccan might be in WandaVision. Hulkling might be in Captain Marvel 2. If the Hawkeye series comes before that, we will have uh, possibly introduced Kate Bishop. So this yep. is pretty exciting news. I mean, one, I, don't, I'm, I imagine a lot of our audience are probably Rick and Morty fans. But if you're not, Rick and Morty, dick and fart jokes for days. Very, very funny. But also incredibly, incredibly smart humor. And it has a real heart, that show. So I think mm-hmm. this is a very exciting hire. Gentlemen, back to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mike? No, I think it's a great idea. I get... I'm excited to see more Ant-Man. I think it's kind of one of the lighter, more uh, fun and silly entries into the Marvel Universe. And that's a good balance to some of the heavier stuff. Uh, The Young Avengers stuff obviously has me the most excited. And I do think that's a good idea. I think um, as much as I enjoy Ant-Man and the Wasp, particularly for Michelle Pfeiffer, because it's Michelle Pfeiffer, uh, (laughs) I do feel like the first Ant-Man did a great job of introducing Ant-Man, but whereas you look at some of the other Marvel franchises and you really see like where they're taking the ball and running with it, Ant-Man and Wasp seemed like a really fun sort of diversion. Uh, it gave Wasp a bigger role, but it didn't really feel like it was moving the entire universe forward. And I think using the, Ant- I, I'm just saying like, aside from the, Okay, Shannon's making a face. <laughs> <laughs> the entire plot of Endgame is connected to Ant-Man and the Wasp. No, no, no. The plot of Ant-Man and the Wasp is involving the ghost character and uh, Lawrence Fishburne. What happens in the post credit sequence of Ant-Man and the Wasp has to do with Endgame. And yeah. that's what Marvel typically does. Well, no, the whole idea of the quantum realm which is what takes place in Ant-Man and the Wasp, not just the post-credit sequence. That is how they navigate to the past in Endgame. Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man movie also deals with the quantum realm, and the only time they mention time travel in Ant-Man and the Wasp is in the post-credit sequence in a throwaway line from Michelle Pfeiffer. I'm not not arguing. (laughs) I don't don't dislike the movie. I think it's a fun movie. Why don't you like Paul Rudd, Mike? What's your problem with Paul Rudd, Mike? Why don't you like Michael Douglas? You guys have the same name. (laughs) Uh Uh all i'm saying is i feel like i feel like 
looking at when we talk about the Guardians franchise and we get excited about where the Guardians are going in the next movie and we talk about all the elements that are just in that franchise and we talk about Spider-Man and Spider-Man getting outed by J. Jonah Jameson and what's gonna what's that gonna mean? Like with these other franchises, each one of them on their own sort of has a clear driver that sort of speaks to where it's going in the Marvel Universe as well as being really, really invested in those characters. I'm just saying that for me personally, even though I actually really, really like all the characters in the Ant-Man franchise, I don't have a sense of where that franchise is going. And if that franchise were to become the place where you introduce the Young Avengers and Scott Lang as sort of one of the uh, outside heroes of the Mar of the Avengers kind of takes the younger group and trains them and helps them out, I think that's a really good use of that franchise to further things within that franchise as well as move the Marvel Universe forward. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree with you, Mike. I think you make excellent points. This is the way I look at it, too. I think Ant-Man is the perfect place to launch that kind of thing because Ant-Man has never been about necessarily Ant-Man. You know, even in the first movie, he was, you know, a loser to a degree. And he was trying to, you know, get what get things going for his family, for his daughter, and try to you know, do right by them. And in the end, uh, what, what do you get uh, with him is that he finally figures it out by the end and he's somewhat of a hero. In the second one, the Wasp is really can do everything the Ant-Man does and better. Uh, so you have him not even be the center part of his own story. So it only makes sense to keep that vibe going because Paul Rudd just wins by being Paul Rudd. He doesn't have to. He, you know he's not going to big time MCU at Marvel and be like, no, 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 man. I need to be the focus of my own movie. Paul Rudd is happy to be part of this thing, and it, it comes through in the characterization of Ant-Man and Scott Lang and what he does. So when he kind of seeds his movie over to launching Stature and launching the Young Avengers, it makes all the sense in the world because she is his daughter. What was yeah. been the whole focal point of the Ant-Man franchise has been him doing right by his daughter. So it only that makes sense that he would launch her. Yeah. That's a good point. That's actually no. That's I, where are you going? You keep disappearing. Where it's are you the going? Lighting. It's the lighting. I'm super anal about the lighting. Go ahead. Well, uh, no, you actually make a really good point. Like the one through line of Ant Man and Ant Man and the Wasp is his relationship with Cassie, uh, leading into when he does come back into things in Endgame. So I do right. think that continuing that's a really good point. Like continuing that into Cassie becoming a hero in her own right is actually a great story. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah, and do we maybe even think how Michael Douglas said to Paul Rudd in Ant-Man 1, how I can't do it anymore, that it's taken a toll on me. Maybe yeah. by the time Ant-Man 3 gets around, Scott Lang can't do it anymore. That's why he has yeah. to pass it on to his daughter. No surprise. It'd be, I would not be surprised by that at all. Uh, and I like that the, this Rick and Morty writer is coming on to this thing too because – once again, Ant-Man 3 would lend itself to that style of humor. It would absolutely work within that realm. I mean, we had an ant playing a rock band, for God's sakes, at the end of the second one. So it would absolutely lend itself to that realm. <laughs> well, we shall see. So November 5th, Black Widow, everybody mark your calendars. Yeah, there it is. And cross uh, your fingers that there's still movie theaters for us to go see in November. <laughs> they're, all, they're all closing down. People are going crazy online about this. They are so just uh, freaking out about the fact that we might not have uh, uh, a movie theaters to go to for quite some time. It's like, eh, you know, it's okay. We had decades of theaters to go to. We could take a little bit of a break. People are flipping out. But I did enjoy what you retweeted, Mike, that uh, uh, Twitter of uh, Endgame with a hammer and Captain America and what that felt like. You know, it's good to remember. And that's what I think Disney Plus it's it's just kind of a godsend and a blessing, to be honest with you. I know a lot of people like to bash Disney, but I would say it's a godsend and a blessing that these streaming services got off the mat and like launched before 
this coronavirus thing, or this would be completely owned by Netflix and the cable companies. Disney, Disney Plus, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Disney Universe, all of them jumping in just works on so many levels. I'm going to tell you right now, I this is not surprising to anybody who knows me, but I don't know if I'd be surviving this quarantine if I didn't have Disney Plus. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> I'd, be going, I'd be crawling off the walls. I'd be going crazy over yeah. here right now. <laughs> what would Shannon be tweeting about every night if it wasn't for Disney Plus? All right, let's move on to let's move on to the my story. My story is a little more of a difficult story. I touched on it on Mornings with the Outlaw on Monday. I played the video, and I don't I don't want to get any kind of rights issues involved, Geek Buddy. So I'm not going to play that video again here on the show, but. Um, some troubling situation happened on Monday. There's this thing about Ezra Miller broke. I'm not sure if I'm sure everybody watching ha- or listening has heard about it. If you haven't, real quick recap: Ezra Miller was uh, out somewhere, and uh, he the video shows uh, between some people confront him, or some people have a back and forth with him, and a young lady uh, is there, and he says, "Oh, you want to fight me?" and grabs her by the neck and puts her against the dumpster now, and then moves her to the ground. Some people say he choke slammed her. Let me tell you something. I watch wrestling. He didn't choke slam her. He moved her to the ground for sure uh, and, and forcefully. And that is the issue here. And no, and some people have pushed back and said we haven't had the whole video, but other people are tweeting already. Hashtag cancel Ezra Miller party. Well, all these kinds of things are happening. And I don't know if there's been a statement from Ezra Miller in the last couple of days about it or from his publicist. So to me, maybe they're waiting for this thing to die down a little bit. Maybe they think the coronavirus will essentially cover this all up. They don't know what's going to happen. But this is yet another issue with this Flash movie. Yet another issue in the way. Now, that being said, I'm not trying to denigrate what happened to this young lady if this is, isn't some kind of stunt or some film thing or whatever, and this is what actually happened, then it's terrible what Ezra Miller did, and a movie shouldn't even matter. But we have to talk about it overall, and overall, this is yet another thing in the way of this Flash Miller, I mean, this Flash movie happening. Ezra has constantly been attached to it through numerous directors, even took a stab at writing the script, I think with Jeff Morrison, uh, and trying to make it happen. And in the end, they found uh, um, uh, the gentleman from Muschietti, Andy Muschietti from, uh, from it to direct it, and Ezra is back on board. But now with this, I kind of feel like Ezra Miller is done as the Flash, which maybe they were waiting to do. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, the optics on this in any situation is not good. Um, right. Like the clip is about five seconds. So we don't yeah, know yeah. what happened beforehand. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the original Twitter account that posted the video, it's now been deleted. Yeah. Is, is that is that correct? Yes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was supposedly uh, supposedly in Iceland for something. Um right. At a at a watering hole that he is supposed to frequent when he's there, and yeah, I mean we don't know what happened beforehand. Obviously, like I do think it looked like he he shoved her up against the dumpster. Um, Surely, but when he, when they went down to the ground, I mean it didn't look like he was aiming to really kind of go after this lady, right? Right. Um, but still, not a good not a good look to have your hand around a throat of a fan and yeah. what's really interesting is uh john francis daly who was one half of uh one of the writing teams that worked on spider-man homecoming oh, yeah. they, they were attached to direct the flash at one point and on his twitter account i believe he actually retweeted it and uh wrote creative differences oh um, wow so, yeah so there wow i didn't there, see that okay there, there have been rumors that uh I don't think Ezra Miller was that thrilled with the take that they wanted to do. And that's when he went out to Grant Morrison to kind of right. give their own, give their right, own great story. Right. Grant Morrison, not Jeff Morrison. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah. But yeah, across the board, this is, 
this is not a this is not a good look for Ezra Miller. Yeah, Mikey. Hey, drugs, y'all. Drugs, <laughs> y'all. <laughs> As distinct as he can be, right there. Uh, no, I think. I mean, look, I, I, I don't. I, I would be hard pressed to think about what you could contextualize happened before or after the five seconds of this video that doesn't make Fair it point. awful. Fair uh, maybe there's some. Oh God, it was all a joke, or this woman was spitting on Ezra Miller. I, I don't. I don't know what you could do. Like, just in looking at those five seconds, it's. Yeah. I, I'm hard pressed to go. Well, maybe if this was the case, it's okay. Like, it's just not okay. Now, reading some of the stuff that was reported on this woman's Twitter or a friend of the woman, and again, this is all conjecture, and we don't know if any of this is true. Like, uh, apparently, there was some kind of discussion. Ezra Miller was showing there, uh, was showing off like some scars, yeah, some scars that that uh, that they had uh, from from a fight. And this girl said, I could fight you. And so he was feeling like he needed, like, I, like it sounds like there was kind of a moment where he sort of like flipped out mm-hmm. uh, because of this debate on what kind of a fighter he was. Uh, it, it, and listen, as as someone who has been in many situations like Burning Man, where you see people on altered substances, the reaction that he has in the moment that he has it to me very much does seem like, oh yeah, like you were, you were, hanging out in Iceland you were fucked up on some shit you got into one of those like drugged out conversations and you did like a really dumb dumb thing and uh I think the silence kind of speaks to the fact that they don't really know how to respond that I don't think there really necessarily is a proper response to this and look Ezra Miller is a complicated person to begin with like the articles that they do uh you know that, that that they do in um Ezra Miller just is is very out there, even by like Hollywood standards. And I think that it does seem like when you read some of like I went back and was reading some of the interviews he uh, they had done. And uh, I think that even at the best of times, he's probably a lot to handle for his PR mm-hmm. team. And I think this is a disaster. But I think that to your point, I think the flash issue is less of an issue for him right now. Uh, and for Warner Brothers than the Fantastic Beasts franchises. Oh uh, yeah, fair I mean, point. The big yeah. the big issue here is, you know, I mean, J.K. Rowling and Warner Brothers uh, took a lot of heat with the second Fantastic Beasts movie when they didn't uh, recast Johnny Depp because mm-hmm. of all the rumors about him and Amber Heard. But like, in retrospect, it does seem like that story seems to be way more complicated than people thought that it was. But I don't know how you're going to get past after like sort of weathering the Johnny Deppness of the last movie. You right. now have Ezra Miller playing a pretty significant role, uh, given the reveals at the end of the last Fantastic Beasts movie in this movie. And like, you know, if the Flash movie happens or doesn't happen, given everything that's going on with DC, it's sort of like, well, if you were a big fan of Flash, that sucks. They'll get to it at some point. But right. you're in the middle of this Harry Potter franchise, and I'm sure that like when all of this came out, uh, everyone involved with the Fantastic Beast franchise was just like shit. Right. Like, I mean, we just got over the we, Johnny Depp Amber, and now this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm really curious to see. <sighs> I, I the Flash movie kind of going away because of all of this is almost like a no brainer to me. Right, uh, right. I'm more curious to see what Warner Brothers does with the Fantastic Beasts franchise once they get back to it. I mean, I think as we've talked about in the past, I think the Fantastic Beasts franchise, they already know they kind of have 
a giant issue on their hands just creatively. People are not as into this as they are into regular mainline Harry Potter. And they already know they've got a lot of an uphill battle with this next movie to sort of win people back over. And this is just another thing piled on it that you're just like, well, I don't know what to do. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. I mean, I I, th- I thought it was worth the discussion here because of his connection to the Flash movie and Fantastic Beasts. Great point you bring up, Mike. And we'll, we'll see. I mean, this is something you don't want to. And look, I get it. Like, you know, if for the small amount of shred, 1% of celebrity that I have off the Schmodown, I have dealt with some pretty weird comments, some interesting uh, interactions with people in person. And it's, it happens every once in a while, but you, it's a little weird when it happens. So uh, who knows at that level, at Ezra Miller's level, what, what kind of reactions he had, was he drink was, what was he drinking? Was the drugs involved? Was what was going on overall? And what were the things they said? Certainly doesn't excuse you. You have to be the bigger person. That's kind of how the game works. You have to be the bigger person in that situation, no matter if they try to troll you. Cause all sports athletes know, especially in the 80s and the 90s, there's always those guys in the bar who are trying to goad you because they want that reaction from you because they're jealous of your life, they're jealous of your money, they're jealous of your status, or they're trying to get famous themselves by messing with you. And that happens uh, That happened a lot during the 80s and 90s with a lot of players. So it wouldn't surprise me uh, if this, if that's an element of this. Or maybe not. Maybe it's just a straight up what we saw him phys- him altered physically attacking a young lady, which should never, ever happen, certainly. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our next uh, thing. What's our next thing? I believe you guys are going to get to know Michael Vogel. Hey! How do we do this? Let's do this. Last week we did get to know Shannon McClung. This week it's get to know Michael Vogel. Shannon, you want to take it away? Yeah, so Mike, you know, we went into how you and I met and became became friends. How did you meet and become good friends with Mr. John Roca? Oh, Jesus. Oh, this is good. This is good. Uh, yeah, so for those of you that don't know, um, as we were talking about last week, Shannon, John, and I all met through Florida State University. Uh, I was a sophomore in college when John joined Florida State because he had been in the military, as most fans of the outlaw know. Uh, So kind of came back to Florida State to kind of get his theater degree after the fact. So he was a little bit older, came in a little bit later. And for the first year that he was there, we were not really very good friends. I think I knew who he was. He knew who I was. But uh, he kind of had a different circle of friends that he was hanging with. And I had my circle of friends and, uh, you know, just kind of like more or less a nod in the hallway kind of person. Uh, but then, and you'll have to ask John about this, we were getting ready to go to uh, London. Florida State had a study abroad uh, program and I had signed up for it. So fall of my junior year, I was going. Uh, John had also signed up. He was going. And even though we were not very good friends at all, uh, he kind of came up to me in the hall out of nowhere and said, hey, you're going to London. Do you want a room with me? And I always say this, I have these like Michael Vogel moments in life where I don't know why I answer the way I do, but I like decide on something and then I stubbornly (laughs) adhere to it. So I was like, sure, I'll be your roommate. And uh, so we did it. And some of my other friends who were going, who assumed that I was going to be rooming with them were like, why are you rooming with this guy? And I was like, he asked me first. I don't know what to tell you. This is how it's going to be. Uh, and we did. And so then we had summer school together that summer and started hanging out. Then I think we had a costume design, costume design together. Uh, we had a couple classes together and started hanging out. And then by the time we got to London, uh, we're decent friends and then living together for three and a half, four months in a flat in London, 
uh, kind of solidified things. And after that, we've been uh, best friends ever since. Yeah, it sounds about right. I mean, it was basically the prompt. Look, no one's asking the beautiful girl. I'm going to go and take a shot and see what happens. It's basically <laughs> oh, it. It was stop basically it. it you know, stop it, also, you. <laughs> also, I only like Michael said. My group of friends was very small, and this is get to know Michael Vogels. This is a quick thing. Uh, uh, my group of friends is very small at the time. I was I'd come back to college, 27 years old, out of the military, pretty suspicious, paranoid about the coming back into this theater school and i didn't really know that many people but i knew michael was always like the nicest guy in the room the coolest dude in the room every single time any class or any situation we'd be by the board talking to a bunch of people so he would happen to be there that day and i just kind of was like i i need a room with somebody i I feel could be a good person and i could trust uh um because i know how crazy i can be so i walked up and i just asked michael and and i fully expected him to say no or be like let me think about it but when he said yes i was really surprised and kind of like i was like okay good the big hurdle is crossed i have someone that i trust uh, to live with uh, in london now oh my god i'm going to london you know that kind of overwhelming experience of that so it was a it was definitely a blessing that it worked out that way for so many reasons we became friends obviously we're doing the show obviously but more than that is i learned so much off that time and and at that time michael kind of guided me through some personal situations that were going on and in coming back to college and and kind of going towards what i wanted to go towards so uh, you know you can't um i can't speak about the value of that enough so yeah it's a good story it's a fun story uh i think also uh of note to our listeners uh Mm. so john and i john and i both uh snore (laughs) <laughs> um, so true which, i should bring my quickly, girlfriend in right now to talk about it yeah <laughs> which we quickly discovered in uh living in a room together and we both handled it differently i i actually had bought a glass like 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 uh, a bottle a glass of gatorade like a bottle of gatorade in a glass bottle not a plastic bottle and i just kept filling it with change by my bed and so i would like wake up at night and I would just grab it and shake it really violently <laughs> to get him to stop snoring. And John took a different tactic. He had well, a bunch of shoes by his bed that he would just hurl <laughs> at my head to get me to stop. So. To be fair, it didn't start with shoes. It started with pillows, then eventually shoes, because it just wasn't working after a while. He adapted to the pillows, and so it had to get harder. It had to get hey, harder. Life, life finds a way. <laughs> Sure. Um, what 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 brought you into the world of superheroes and nerddom and all this kind of stuff? I mean, obviously, and you're a big Disney guy as well. Um, is it just this desire to explore the escapist fantasy of these worlds, or was it, or was it the stories that spoke to you about and and maybe mirrored what was going on in your world? Were you aware of that kind of stuff? Actually, it's really funny. Uh, I mean, since we're on the subject of London, most hmm. people don't realize this. Like when I was in high school, I think when I was a kid. I read some X-Men comics and a little, a couple Batman comics, but I wasn't really a big comic book kid. Like I liked X-Men. I liked the, I liked the X-Men animated series. I liked the Batman animated series. I would go see like those movies, but I was not a kid who was like reading all the comic books all the time. Like I, I was much more of an animation kid, a Disney kid. Um, and it was actually when we were living in London together in college, um, I, uh, the, the the London Study Center was right in the middle of downtown London, and it was one block away from Forbidden Planet, the comic book store. And mm-hmm. so just I was bored one day uh, between classes, and I strolled over there, and I picked up a couple X-Men comics because I knew I loved the X-Men. And I started reading those, and then I started getting Batman comics, and I actually started to become an avid comic book collector in London 
where mm-hmm. I started buying comics, buying comics, reading them. I actually think I had to leave a bunch of them behind because I bought so many comic books that I couldn't actually fit them all in my bags when we came back to the States. But, uh, but yeah, so I got really into it then. And then coming back to Florida State after that, uh, for the rest of our junior year and senior year, I became like a full on, like every Wednesday, go to the comic book store, read them. Uh, and that's when I got back into it. But to answer your question, yeah, I mean, I think I think that what I love the most about superhero comics is that I think that in a lot of ways, they, uh, they are sort of our modern day mythology. Yeah. Uh, and they are about these characters that are sort of larger than life dealing with larger than life problems. But the way that you watch them deal with these problems, uh, it's always a good guidepost for how we should ideally react to problems in the real world. And, you know, mm-hmm. we don't always react to problems uh, the way that Superman would because we're human and we can't always uh, achieve that, but it's a pretty good uh, goalpost to try and hit. Mm. All right, so you've obviously become very successful in your uh, Joe. We do have have a guest. Hey, Hey, hi Bosco. This is Bosco, everybody. (laughs) Buddy, I'm, 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 uh, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. Dad's working right now. So you're over here. <laughs> but you originally came to Los Angeles because you had you were thinking about becoming an actor. Yeah. What was it that made you switch from the on stage, the in front of the camera performing to what you're doing now? Uh, I think it was like my first agent meeting. I think in the first few weeks that I was out here, I went and got hooked up with somebody to go meet with an agent. And I talked to them for a little bit. And I think I just quickly realized that the reality of being an actor professionally meant that you had very little control over your career until you reached a certain level. And me being sort of a type A controlling person, that didn't seem like my jam. That wasn't what I wanted. Uh, And because I had always loved animation as well, at the time I was really focused on, I'm gonna be an actual animator. Like I was taking night classes at the animation union in in betweening and storyboarding uh, and life drawing. And I was really focused on building out a portfolio to become an actual animator. Uh, Mm. But while I was doing that, I ended up getting a day job in animation uh, after having some other assistant jobs that didn't really uh, fulfill me creatively. And I got a job as an assistant in animation development, which ended up being something that I was actually pretty good at because I had uh, an understanding of story and writing from being a theater major. And because I had an art background from being an art major, I actually was uh, pretty good at talking to people who worked in animation. And so ended up having like that sort of uh, talent for development and ended up being on that side of things and working in development at Sony and at Hasbro for many years before I went to Burning Man uh, and had a moment of revelation in the desert where I decided I didn't want to be an executive and quit and became a writer and producer. Wow. <laughs> wow. And it's worked out. Obviously, I mean, you, you've been pretty, pretty successful working on a number of animated projects. You've, you've been executive producer, you've wrote lyrics, uh, you've, you know, you were executive producer on the movie, the My Little Pony movie, things of that nature. What has been the most surprising thing you've discovered about your journey over the last 20 years here in LA pursuing what you've pursued? I mean, I'm, I'm, this is the first time I've ever heard of that agent story. So that's pretty incredible uh, to see that that had changed you in that way. Where Shannon and I had our agent meetings and we're like, yeah, sure, whatever you want to do, whatever you want me to do. Absolutely. I was like, where, where, where do I sign in blood? Where do I sign? Yeah, right. <laughs> How much I was like, yeah, I don't think this is going to work for me. Yeah, that was a different, <laughs> was a different yeah. reaction. John, John, and like, John and I have such a desire to be liked by people we yeah. don't know. 
<laughs> we're like Mickey Rooney. We're like, where do I put on the play? Uh, you know, that's like, you don't have to sell tickets. I'll do it for free. You know, but like, but Michael's more like in control. And I respect that absolutely because it, it certainly bears out in the jobs that you've ascended to almost, I wouldn't say effortlessly, but certainly with a kind of like, just inevitability is what the number one thing that I always think about with you is. And I, I've never known you to pursue something and not get it. I've never known you to like kind of want to do something and not how somehow manifest it. What have you discovered about this whole process over the last 20 years for yourself that either you come back to or you're still in wonder of as you uh, go forward? Um, I think the thing that I always come back to um, is another, like I'll tell the quick version of the story, but when I was an mm. assistant at Sony, uh, trying to figure out how I was going to make my way into not being an assistant. Uh, my boss at the time, uh, her contract had ended and they didn't renew it. So she was going to be leaving. I wasn't sure it was going to happen. And the presidents of Sony at the time, uh, Jamie Ehrlich and Zach Van Amberg, uh, their office called me one day and said, uh, hey, what are you wearing right now? Which was a little weird. Uh, <laughs> and I said, I'm wearing like jeans and a button up shirt. And they're like, oh, okay, good. Come downstairs, Zach and Jamie want to see you, which I thought was weird. Uh, but I went downstairs and asked what was up and they were like, well, you know, we have the rights to uh, Spider-Man. Sony has the rights to Spider-Man uh, at the time animated as well. And Marvel wants to make another Spider-Man show uh, and they're they're coming in for a meeting. We need you to uh, be in the meeting because nobody else in the building knows anything about Spider-Man. So I like started sweating instantly and I was like, OK, cool, <laughs> I can do that. Uh, when is the when is the meeting? Like, is it tomorrow? And they're like, no, no, they're on their way here. They're going to be here in about five minutes. Oh, and so wow. I got I got sort of like told uh, by the big bosses that I had to go into this meeting and they were like, just, you know, just talk about Spider-Man like we need someone who knows in the room. And so then we go into the meeting and the Marvel people are there and they say, well, we know what we want out of a Spider-Man show. Uh, what does Sony want out of a Spider-Man show? And the two presidents of Sony just turned. They didn't even say anything. They just turned <laughs> and looked at me. Sacrificial lamb. And uh, <laughs> and so. This is this moment is a moment that I always come back to uh, at several points in my career as an executive and now as a writer and producer, because yeah. I sort of like almost panicked. Like, I didn't know what to say. I felt completely out of my depth. I, I was like, I'm going to fuck this up. It's going to be horrible. But then I remembered that I have been friends with you guys for years. I've been going to the comic book store. I get in arguments all the time about what I think a really good Spider-Man show would be. And I yeah. always have an opinion on what Spider-Man should be. Uh, and so I just was like, all right, let's just do it. And I just started asking a bunch of questions. I was like, okay, well, do you guys want to follow in the movie continuity right now with what we're doing in Spider-Man three? Or do you want to go back to the origins of Peter Parker and start with him back in high school? Or I know in the comics right, right now, he's actually a teacher at the school. And do you want to follow that? Do we want to do Gwen Stacy? Do we want to do Mary Jane Watson? Do you want to do Sinister Six? Like, what are you interested in? And I just started talking about Spider-Man and it worked. They ended up promoting me and I wasn't an assistant anymore. And they let me run uh, Spectacular Spider-Man, which was how I met Greg Weissman and Cheeks and Vic Cook and worked on that show. But yeah. the, the thing that always stuck with me was in that moment of sheer panic where you sort of have that desire to want to please everybody or do a good job or be seen as being really smart or all the things that you, your ego wants to get out of a situation like that. I just kind of like fell back on being geeky and nerdy and talking about the thing that I loved. And that mm -hmm. got me where I wanted to go. And so at every point in my life, whether it was being at Hasbro talking about Transformers or My Little Pony or going in to talk to uh, Greg Weissman about working on Young Justice or any of the things that I've done, or even when I was asked to write the My Little Pony movie where I totally panicked, mm -hmm. um, 
I've always just fell back on the fact that I am a geek and geeks always do have opinions and don't freak out and don't go crazy and just write what you would really like to see and do what you love. And it worked. Ah, see, there you so go. So far. Well- so far, what, knock on wood. <laughs> I think you're. I think you'll be running Pixar before you know it. I think that's incredible stuff, you know. Uh, and yet he still finds time to come on the Geek Party. So thank you so much, Michael. Because I know <laughs> you are literally you're a very, very busy guy. I know you've got a lot going on. So it's always a joy for us all to get together and talk about this kind of stuff and nerd out as much as possible. So there you go. That's a nice little uh, window into the world of Michael Vogel, getting to know Michael more. And I'm sure we'll do more of these. Not Michael Moore, but Michael Vogel more. Uh, I'm sure we'll do. I'm sure we'll. Michael, do more of these. I'm, I'm, I'm married. I'm married. My married name is Michael Vogelmore. <laughs> we'll, we'll do more of these as this goes along because I think it's good for the fans uh, to get to know you guys. As much. I mean, they already know me pretty much, but get to know you guys uh, is always a pleasure and joy. So it's fun. And our oh. relationship. Oh, we're definitely doing you next week. We're doing a John uh, Roca next week. The fans <laughs> might know you from your perspective, but Shannon and I, we've got, uh, we've got, we've got the receipts. We've got the receipts. Uh, I'm feeling the Corona coming on. <laughs> the the seedy underbelly of the outlaw. <laughs> We're going to give it to you. <laughs> Ugh, it's pretty big right now. That's seedy underbelly for me right now. That's for sure. Uh, anyway, let's, Let's take a quick break and jump into our main topic uh, right after this. And we're back with Uh, Welcome back, everybody, to the second half of the show. And we're going to talk about our main topic, which I uh, pitched to Michael and to Shannon to discuss. Uh, I I, I saw this article uh, on the Cinema Blend in this interview with James Marsden. And he spoke about what it was like to reflect back on the X-Men movie and then the franchise as a whole 20 years later from the first film. And I pitched it to Mike and Shannon and said, wouldn't this be interesting for us to discuss? Because there isn't really a lot of geek news and blowing up or anything like that. Wouldn't it be fun to kind of do a little bit of a reflective look back on that time in our lives in the year 2000 when we were just like happy to have a comic book movie that might be good. Maybe it'll launch a universe. We're hoping, fingers crossed, that it'll be great. The trailer was good uh, for sure, but we were just coming out of like Spawn was what, three years earlier? We we did have Blade or we had The Crow, but some other stabs at superhero films throughout the 90s weren't necessarily, I mean, we had barbed wire. It wasn't that necessarily that good. So we were concerned about what would happen here entering into the year 2000, into this new century what would happen and this x-men movie came out and it was incredible i think i think we went to see it together i think um I, not shannon shannon no but, but me you and, and you did, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah we did yeah. so i just thought it would be fun to talk about was, and reflect back on what's happened in the last 20 was, years uh, in super films yeah it was you me and matt burke we went to go see it in jacksonville there it is right I remember we sat down like in the third or second row of the theater on the end. I remember that distinctly. That's how this film kind of changed my point of view on the possibility of superhero films. Like this could be a thing, you know, and in the article, James Marsden said, we were hoping it would be good. We were expecting it might be good. We thought it could be five or six movies. She goes, I had no idea it was going to be 10 or more and how it's expanded out. And we still have new mutants supposedly coming at some point. We just had, we just closed the chapter on Logan, on Hugh Jackman, on Professor X. Patrick Stewart said he's never going to do Professor X again. Uh, things that I don't know if we'll ever see Fampy Jans again. But anyway, 
What are your thoughts when you think about the X-Men legacy in film now, from where it started to where it is now? Well, it's interesting because around 2000, Brian Singer had been attached to direct X-Men for a little while. Um, X-Men right. was the movie that got me into, that got me onto the internet for the most mm. part. Like that was wow. the thing that, that was the movie that I would go and try to find like the scoops on that they would have on like Ain't It Cool News or DarkHorizons.com. I remember when or Joe first, Blow or Joe Blow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I remember when the first costume test, they were almost, they almost look like playing cards that that got leaked early and how we saw the first sort of blurry pixelated glimpses right. of these black leather suits and how the <clears throat> fans went bananas. Like, Oh, what the heck? That's not Wolverine. Rah, 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 rah. And then seeing that first teaser trailer, and also they had an incredibly truncated uh, production schedule. Yeah, uh, I think originally the movie was supposed to come out um, around the holiday season, and they, it got pushed to July. But I remember, you know, grabbing any little bit of information that I could. How Dugray Scott was originally going to play Wolverine, and because of Mission Impossible Two, they ended up getting some unknown Australian guy named Hugh Jackman, um, how Cyclops was one of the most difficult roles to cast. Um, yeah. And seeing the movie afterwards, you can, you can kind of see why, because it, it is a, he's the leader of the X-Men, but it's also a much smaller role. I mean, it's, it's, it's Logan's mm -hmm. movie. Um, but like Ed, they were talking about Ed Burns. They were talking about Ed Norton. Right. I mean, there were all of these guys that were up for this role. And then again, they settled on this somewhat, unknown guy named james marsden and how the um i remember the the uh 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 test for the visor got leaked as well i want to say that was on dark horizons like they had mm -hmm. pictures of marsden in the visor and in the glasses um i was so excited for this movie despite the fact that i really wasn't a marvel guy i mean i grew up reading dc i mean i was a super friends kid yeah. Um, but I mean, I knew enough about the characters that as the movie was coming out, I mean, I was super jazzed and how the people that I knew that were X-Men fans, for the most part, they didn't seem to be because the the costumes were such a radical departure yeah. from what they were used to. And everyone was, was happy about Patrick Stewart. I think people were a little iffy on Ian McKellen. They were very so iffy on older. Ian McKellen. Right, right. They wanted a more powerful looking Magneto. I remember that. I'm sorry, yeah. Well, yeah, and also originally in the script, he was he was Max Lyncher. He wasn't Eric Lyncher. And how right. again fans flipped out. It's like, no, his name is Eric. Make it Eric. I remember having tickets to opening night with some friends in Orlando, including uh my my original geek buddy, Randy Vaughn. Yeah, um, Randy. We were going at like 7 p.m. that night at the Universal City Walk Theater, and I got done with work early. And I was like, you know what? I bet I can go see an afternoon showing of this now. And Without Randy? I went you are, you're I a horrible. My, Michael, I rest my friend. case. It's horrible him doing friend. it. It's never me. He drags me along to these things. Uh, uh, it's always him. It's never me. The picture, he made me take that picture from Thor and send it to you. Okay. All right. I'm just saying. Clearly, you have a pattern. I, I do. I do. I'm nothing if not consistent. <laughs> um, but I went to go see it first in a very crowded theater. I was like, oh, well, this is this is neat. There's a lot of people here. And I remember being a little iffy on it at first because, I mean, you could tell. I mean, this was this was a film that was kind of um, on the clock. I mean, it, yeah. it, was, it was kind of rushed through production. But then going to see it in a much more crowded theater with my buddies that night, I mean, having such a great time and then hearing the box office receipts that it had done so well 
like what John had mentioned, we had had Spawn, we had the Phantom in 96, we had Batman and Robin in 97, and that kind of killed comic book movies for a few mm-hmm. years. Nobody wanted to revisit that. Yeah. So it, it is crazy. I mean, I remember I remember sitting in the theater and, and watching the movie the first time that, you know, Sabretooth smacks Logan with that with that tree trunk. I mean, there's yeah. so much of that movie that I remember. And God, had it not had it not worked, what would our what would the cinema landscape look like today? Yeah. Mike? Yeah, <clears throat> I, I was getting it dates us all but like i do remember being so excited that i when the trailer was released online uh and i remember coming home and logging into aol and going to like click on the trailer and i clicked on it to watch it and then i left to go run errands and when i came back there was still about like 20 minutes left before it downloaded and i was like oh my god we're in the future we're in the future so I remember that. But I remember being really excited. And uh, and one thing that always stuck with me, I don't know why this is the thing that always stuck with me, but I think it really does speak to what Brian Singer did right. Like to Shannon's point, I think it had like a $60 million budget. Like it had a very small budget. He didn't get to do all of the big special effects and action that he wanted to. They had to cut corners. Right. And I remember... I think it was the USA Today review, like when the movie came out. And it, I, I think I read it, John, at Matt Burke's house before we went to go see the movie. And oh, I was wow. worried because the review said, uh, it's just such a shame. Comic book fans have been waiting so long to see these characters on screen. And it's just a shame that they didn't get it right and that they're go- and the fans are going to be so disappointed. And the article was talking about the costumes and how, you know, just all the things that Shannon was talking about that fans were upset about. But then I went to go see the movie and it opened up with a very young Magneto in the Holocaust. Yeah. And I remember like from that moment on, I was hooked and it was sort of that lesson that's been tested over and over and over again. And, you know, Marvel seems to get it right. DC seems Mm -hmm. to get it wrong sometimes, you know, we can all debate that, but it's that, what really makes these superheroes work is not the thing that you think always. It's not that the costume has to be exactly right. It's not that the superpowers need to be front and center, that if you get what really makes those characters work, if you get that emotional thing right, the fans will go with you. And even though X-Men was, especially compared to what we're used to now, a relatively small movie, it was about these characters that were uh, being persecuted. It was about mm-hmm. persecution. It started with the Holocaust. Magneto's entire drive as a villain is that he doesn't want what happened to him as a kid being a Jew to happen now to mutants. Professor X and Magneto having these conversations about how to deal with it. Like they nailed, Brian Singer nailed what made X-Men work kind of from an emotional standpoint. And so people went with it. And then just speaking to the legacy, uh, X-Men 1 did a great job, but then when X-Men 2 came out and Brian Singer was given more of the budget uh, that you needed for a superhero movie, I think X-Men 2 is the movie that solidified the future of comic books, of comic book Mm. movies. Like, I think X-Men 2 is where people said, oh, this wasn't like a fluke. This wasn't Mm -hmm. that one movie worked. X-Men 2 came out, continued the story, which was A, really important, and B, 
just like knocked it out of the park, took all the elements that worked in X-Men one and just doubled down on them and completely killed it. And I think that was the moment where kind of Hollywood, not just Hollywood, I think Hollywood took notice and said, oh, this is a viable genre. People will go see these movies. There is an audience. And you started to see kind of to Shannon's point that when you had these types of movies on the Ain't It Cool News and the Joe Blows and the Dark Horizons, you just saw the traffic and you saw the response. And at the time that translated to box office. But I also think it was during the X-Men movies, I believe, where a very, very young Kevin Feige was working on things and said, hey, this is this is a thing that works. Marvel yeah. should do this. Like, <laughs> we could do this. Because, I mean, that yeah. you watch what Fox and Fox, sorry, I should say Marvel through Fox, through those movies, and a few years later with Sony and Spider-Man, you saw how these characters had enough of an appeal and pulled people in that... It's, it's an easy jump to say X-Men's success and then Spider-Man's huge success with Sony kind yeah. of proved the pattern. And that even though Marvel at the time had their sort of D-listers, uh, you know, those Avengers that weren't very popular compared to Spider-Man and the X-Men, uh, they were like, this is what's going to allow us to go for it. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, you can, it's, it's, it's not even a circuitous route. It is a direct path that without the X-Men movies, we don't have move about the move, the news that we have today about phase four of the Marvel cinematic universe. Yeah. I don't disagree. I think that's what's important to remember about that time is like, it's, it was still a, a wait and see situation. I think Mike, you bring up an excellent point. If X2 doesn't come out and, and a lot of people's opinions surpass the first X-Men movie, uh, then we really don't know what we have, right? It's another attempt and then a fall, you know? Oh, the sequel wasn't as good. I don't know if I want to go back. But those two being good, yeah, X-Men 3 Last Stand wasn't a good movie, but it made a crap ton of money. It showed you that there was a market for it, for sure. There was a market, a developing market. All these nerds from the 80s had come become teenagers or 20-year-olds, and they were willing to spend their hard-earned money to go and see a film over and over and over again that superhero related well i think that was the number one thing and i think the x-men franchise on the whole actually teaches some other lessons and i think you bring up a really good point about x3 i think we're all pretty much in agreement that x3 is horrible right uh but what the x-men franchise proved is that those characters in that storyline will survive a horrible movie and this is something yeah. that i think this is something More i think that like we More can't we can't put too fine a point on because in the in normal movie universe language it's like okay you can have a bad movie that makes money but you know you sort of see the writing on the wall and it's sort of they it sort of gets less good and whatever but like not only did the x-men franchise survive last stand it kind of took some interesting twists and turns it jumped over to first class and kind of introduced mm -hmm. a younger version of things and oh shit that worked like the audience went with that they jumped into a movie that didn't have all of the characters that we already were yep. accustomed to. We had new people playing Magneto and Professor X. I guess it wasn't just Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, it's these characters. And then you do something like Days of Future Past, which is such a seminal story in kind of the yeah. legacy of X-Men comics, and also really complicated. It's time travel and different timelines and whatever. And they use that to sort of take the first class cast and the regular cast and bring them back together. Like X-Men kind of proved over and over and over again that you can take all the weirdness and the craziness of the comic book universe and bring that to the big screen. And yeah, yeah. now we live in a world where, you know, a bunch of portals open and the entire Marvel universe fights Thanos and an army of giant aliens. And we're like, yeah, no big deal. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And I, you know, I remember coming out of that trailer 
or I'll come out of the movie. And I remember Mike and I, uh, it's the early stages of our friendship was the difference in philosophies. I was very much a Magneto guy. He's very much a Professor X guy. So whenever we get into a fight about someone that I thought I, that I didn't like, or I thought someone was being in our real life, I thought was being like kind of a jerk or whatever. I'd say, we are the future, Charles, not them. They no longer matter, right? And he'd be like, he would just come back at me with something else from that movie. I remember it being just like a seminal interaction of ours for many years about a number of things. Um, and in the end, you know, I think we both saw each other's point of view, not necessarily agreed, but we saw each other's point of view about how to interpret the world and approach the world. I'm still very much Magneto. He's still very much Professor X. And much- uh, if, you, if you don't learn anything from listening to Geek Buddies episodes, it's certainly that. Much like much like Charles and Eric, we respect each other very much, even though I still know you're wrong. <laughs> ditto, ditto. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel bad for Toad over there who doesn't have an influence in it. Where, where's he going? <laughs> but no, but it was also, I mean, I think what you bring up, Shannon, earlier, the idea of Sabretooth was awesome as well. Seeing Toad in this, seeing, seeing um, uh, Mystique for the first time, you know, and seeing her change. Uh, and then in X2, getting Nightcrawler. It was so, if it hadn't been for these two films, I really do believe more than the Spider-Man films, more than any other films, in my opinion, including the Marvel Universe, if it hadn't been for these two films, the Batman film gave us a taste. That's 89. That's 11 years before this film. It isn't until this film and X2 comes out that I think, like you said, Michael, Kevin Feige, but other executives go, oh, there's a market for this. We need to go make some films about this stuff. Well, and I also think, yeah, go ahead, Mike. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Shannon. Well, no, I was going to say something that X-Men proved is the idea of the ensemble. Because even right. though it was Wolverine's movie, I mean, it was everyone, it was all of the X-Men in the story. It was multiple mm-hmm. heroes. It was multiple villains. Yeah. Casting Ray Park as Toad on, on the heels of him being in Star Wars, like that was a genius, that was a genius move. I mean, did you really need Ray Park, this incredible martial artist in that role? Probably not, but they knew like, oh, this is Darth Maul. Right. Geeks Name gonna, recognition. Yep. Geeks are going to flip out over this guy. Yeah. And that's, uh, and having a, a, an actor like Alan, Alan Cumming, who who would have ever thought that Alan Cumming would be like this is it sounds like a very prim proper British gentleman that mm-hmm. he'd be just so badass as Nightcrawler and still I mean that's the White House sequence at the beginning of X two that's still one of my favorite comic book action sequences absolutely um, I think kind of to your point about Batman um, I think when you look at like the Batman franchise on the whole uh, the Tim Burton movies the Schumacher movies uh, for all that was good and then bad about them. I think the big difference between them and what X-Men proved is that those Batman movies are kind of each one is its own thing. Like the mm. first Batman movie, as amazing as it is, it's a Batman Joker story. And even though Batman Returns is a continuation, I guess, it really is its own brand new story. It's the same characters uh, doing this in this world, but it's a new story about Catwoman and this and whatever. And then you get to the Joel Schumacher movies and we just kind of go off into La La Land with just, like there's no continuity. It's just a kind of big adventure. What right. X-Men into X-Men 2, into for better or for worse, X-Men The Last Stand proved was you can have a continuous story that builds and you can drop hints and seeds, like seeing the phoenix in the water at the end of X-Men 2 Everybody yeah. lost their goddamn mind and said, I can't wait for the next movie because we're getting this. And and That's it was right. the beginnings. It was the beginnings. Like we didn't do that beforehand in comic book yeah. movies. You were just you were happy if you got a movie that was good and worked. You didn't right. come out of a movie and start to have these big discussions about where things were going. And the conversations that happened uh, after X-Men a little bit, but particularly after X-Men 2, 
with them building up everything with Jean Grey and the Phoenix, that was the precursor to the world that we live in today in movie Absolutely. franchises. That was, yeah. that was the beginning of what do these uh, post-credit sequence mean? What's right. going to happen in Rise of Skywalker? Like every big conversation we have about these franchises and where they're going, the X-Men movies were the beginning of that. And it didn't exist before that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, we don't get that or, Joker card. Let me rephrase. Let me rephrase because I'm not going to get yelled at on Twitter. It existed okay. before that, but not on the level that that, ha- that that kind of proved and that paved the way for the world we live in today. Well, certainly not in this genre. That's for sure. Even the Batman movies are singularly themselves, right? There's no tease of Batman three in bat or of of the Joe of uh, sorry of Two Face and the Riddler in Batman uh, uh, Returns. There's no tease of that. But I agree with you, Mike. I think if we don't see that in X Men X two, we don't get that Joker card at the end of Batman Begins. Like those kind yeah. of ideas that people are going to come over and over again. And then by extension, as you said, the end credit scenes uh, as or the post credit scenes as well, or mid credit scenes as well. Those all stem from this success uh, in, in teasing these two films. So there you go. Uh, any final uh, thoughts on the X-Men uh, film or the X2 and, and its legacy? Well, quick question. Yeah. Favorite, favorite X-Men film. Let's go. Let's go around the horn. Ooh, that's tough. X-Men film. So X-Men is in front of it. Uh, I think I'd still have. No, you know what? I have to say days of future past. I love you, days of future past. Logan, I will see it a thousand times. Logan counts as an X-Men film. <laughs> well, I feel like Thor. Is it though? <laughs> to, all, to all the points, to all the points that we were talking about, what Logan yeah. does so brilliantly is it takes the characters of both Wolverine and Professor X, who have existed in this world for all of this time, and yeah. takes them both to their ultimate ends and the things that they're talking about and the relationships that they had with people. Fair point. They're, they're, it's, it's a payoff of that. Like you don't okay. get a Logan movie without everything leading up to it. So. I'm just pointing that out because I know that that has to be your favorite. So I'm just throwing it it in there. (laughs) Bar none, it is my favorite, but Days of Future pass right below. And I hope someday we get to the point uh, that we get solo films from a number of the X-Men characters. I'd love to see a Cyclops solo film with Jean Grey and Havoc be involved and Cable. And like, I'd love to see that. That's all possible. So. You reach, uh, before I answer the question, you, re- you bring up a good point that it's interesting to talk about the legacy of the X-Men franchise as we are on the cusp of uh, having a new generation of X-Men yes. be introduced in the Marvel Universe. Like we're True. about, we've, we've, we've sort of gone full circle that X-Men sort of got us to the point where we got the Marvel Cinematic Universe and now the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to get another 10 years mm-hmm. out of the X-Men easily uh, yeah. once they introduce them. So it's going to be exciting to see. And as, as Shannon just said, this is an ensemble, a second reboot or th- second reboot of an ensemble superhero f- uh, franchise. That's insane to think about. Yeah, we've had three Spider-Men, but like an entire group of heroes, that's a tough thing to do. And that speaks to the uh, love and appreciation people have for the X-Men franchise and the X-Men property as a whole, that they want these characters to continue to be on screen. Uh, Shannon, you or Mike, whoever wants to go around the horn next. Shannon, Shannon, what's, Shannon, what's your favorite? Okay, so I love I love so many sequences in X two, and I love so many sequences in Days of Future Past, but I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go with uh, First Class. Oh wow! Because okay. they they pulled something off. I mean, it was not the biggest X Men hit, but I think they pulled something off. And what John said, recasting these uh, these two uh, the these two characters, Professor X and Magneto, mm. and recasting them really and, really well, and, and the rest of the X Men. And yeah. Mystique. 
and Mystique, absolutely, mm-hmm. really yeah, upping, upping her importance um, yeah. in the in the X universe. Yeah, I mean, X Men First Class was supposed to be a Magneto movie. Like that's what it started off as. It was going to be mm-hmm. X Men Origins Wolverine, X Men Origins Magneto, and it turned into this sort of 1960s kind of James Bond. I mean, it it was watching that movie for the first time because I'm a, I'm a big James McAvoy fan, but I was mm-hmm. like watching him, knowing that oh boy, he's he's walking right now. He won't be at the end of this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, I think Days of Future Past is amazing. I think First Class is amazing. I think they're both probably as good as it gets. I I will say this. I don't I don't think I just watched it like a year ago. I don't think X2 holds up in the post sort of Marvel Cinematic Universe the way that it used to. Like it's just you can kind of see the dated era that it can kind of came out in. That being okay. said, I just think it's still my favorite. Because I think that that was the comic book movie that blew me away. And like X-Men, I was like, oh, thank God they got all this right, the first one. But it didn't blow me away. I was like, this is great. And they got it right. I'm so excited. I hope there's more of these. But when I saw X-Men 2, like when uh, when Brian Cox and his team like kind of, uh, 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 you know, kind of move in on the mansion and all the mutants sort of fight back and Wolverine goes crazy. Like there's just, there's so many moments like that, like Magneto breaking out of uh, of prison with just a couple yeah. of drops of blood, like all the yeah. big moments they put in there, like there's, they're so good. And it's so, it showed such an understanding of X-Men and Brian Singer finally got the opportunity to do some of those big action sequences, like the White House sequence at the beginning that he didn't necessarily mm. get to do in the first one. And I think X-Men 2 will always have a special place in my heart, even though I feel like First Class and Days of Future Past work better now in the world that we live in. Uh, X2 is always going to be my favorite. I don't just, I mean, X2, you can't, the philosophical battles on X2 are what elevate that genre. Honestly, the philosophical battles about how to approach that situation just totally elevate the genre. Absolutely. Because the first film is a Wolverine movie. The second film is more about the overall battle that's going on. Um, All right. Well, that's this episode of the Geek Buddies. Can't thank you all enough for downloading it on YouTube or downloading it wherever you download podcasts and listening to us. Please, uh, Shannon, where can they find us on social media? Yeah, if you'd like to follow us on social media, on Twitter, it's at geek underscore buddies. On Instagram, at the underscore geek underscore buddies. If you'd like to follow me on social media, on Twitter, it's at Shannon underscore McClung. On Instagram, at Shannon the Geek Buddy. If you'd like to follow Mr. Vogel. On Boast, it's at MK2. And if you'd like to follow Mr. Roca, it's at the Roca Says. That's right. Mikey. Uh, Listen, you don't need Cerebro to know what I'm about to tell you. Uh... uh, we want you guys. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Uh, these these are the jokes, folks. Uh, no, listen. Uh, we we love you guys joining us each week. We love doing this. We want to keep doing it. Uh, to do that, we need as many listeners as possible. So uh, definitely subscribe to uh, Roka's channel uh, down here below so that you always get the latest in Geek Buddies news. Uh, and if you are not watching us on YouTube and you're listening to us on Spotify or Anchor or iTunes, uh, rate us, leave comments, uh, retweet us, post us on Facebook, tell people to check out Geek Buddies. Everybody's chilling at home. Everybody wants to pass the time. Why not pass the time with us? Uh, we love the more people joining the conversation. And, uh, you know, we'd love to just keep doing this for as many geeks as possible. That's for sure. Uh, I don't have much to add to that except for please uh, reach out to us on any social media and let us know what you feel about everything and pass this on. Like Michael just said, 
you know, we want to get more and more listeners involved. And that happens through your work. And that is you retweeting it or you uh, tweeting it with a comment and saying how much you enjoyed certain things. Or even some of you maybe want to cut out portions of the show and retweet that to get people as a taster, appetizer, to get people to come enjoy the whole meal of the show as it is. Please feel free to do that because when you do that, you're telling your friends and your followers that you approve of this show and you love this show. And that helps us grow as a community and who doesn't want more buddies in their community to talk about geek stuff with uh thank you all so much and uh i think that's it we'll uh, talk to you next time on the geek buddies Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.